Hello and welcome. The Setting Apart podcast is a pit stop where you can get nourished, encouraged, and refreshed whenever you need a break. I am your host, IP, and every episode I get to share my stories, my outlook, my reflections on all things inspired through the lens of faith. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, and chill. My friends, welcome back. Just to recap, last episode, Tobiah and Raphael arrived in Abertana, and Raguel agreed to Tobiah marrying his daughter Sarah, whose former seven husbands were all killed by a demon on the wedding night. Since Raguel, like Tobit, displayed some commendable virtuous qualities in chapter 7, I was inspired to examine the church teaching on virtues. Now, paraphrasing from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1833-39, human virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections of intellect and will that govern our actions, order our passions, and guide our conduct according to reason and faith. They can be grouped around the four cardinal virtues. They are prudence or wisdom, justice, fortitude or courage, and temperance or self-control. Prudence disposes the practical reason to discern in every circumstance what is truly good for us and to choose the right means for achieving it. Justice consists in the firm and constant will to give God and neighbor what is rightly due to them. Fortitude gives us the stamina and firmness in difficulties and consistency in the pursuit of the good. Temperance moderates the attraction of the pleasures of the senses and provides balance in the use of created goods. The human or moral virtues can be acquired by human effort. They grow through education, deliberate acts, and perseverance in struggle. Divine grace purifies and elevates them. However, since humanity is in a fallen state, we need all the grace we can get in the pursuit of all the virtues. Don't take my word for it. This is what CCC paragraph 1811 has to say, and I quote, It is not easy for men, wounded by sin, to maintain moral balance. Christ's gift of salvation offers us the grace necessary to persevere in the pursuit of the virtues. Everyone should ask for this grace of light and strength, frequent the sacraments, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and follow His cause to love and shun away evil. Unquote. What will happen to Tobiah when he marries Sarah in chapter 8? Will he suffer the same fate as those who came before him? In this episode, as I read Tobit chapter 8 with you, hopefully you read along with me and reflect on it, I continue to unpack and wrap up the meaning of Christian virtues which we started in the last episode. 
at the end of this episode, I would address the four questions posed from the last episode. One, what do the church and scripture teach us about virtues? Two, what purpose do they serve in our Christian life? Three, how do we acquire them? And four, how can we grow in virtue? Do stay tuned all the way to the end. The Bible I'm reading from is the New American Bible or the NAB online version taken from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops or the USCCB website. For the Book of Tobit, I also refer to the online version of the Dewey Reams Bible or DRB in short, which is the translation from the Latin Vulgate, whereas the NAB is translated from the Septuagint or the Greek version. As always, the show notes can be found on the website. The URL is www.settingapart.com. Setting apart is one word. All resources used, for example, scripture verses, reflection questions, YouTube links where subtitles of every episode this season is uploaded, and all these and more for the podcast can be found in the show notes. I invite you to read along Tobit chapter 8 with me. If you do not have a Bible handy, feel free to check out the Setting Apart channel on YouTube where you can find the subtitles for all the episodes in this season there. Again, the YouTube links can be found in the show notes on the Setting Apart website. Now, let us quiet down our hearts for our opening prayer as we prepare to read and listen to the Word of God. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, all thanks and glory is to you. We thank you for gathering us in your name to listen attentively to you with our hearts. As it is written, as your word unfolds, it gives light. Even the simple understand. We pray that the Holy Spirit in our midst could guide us in opening our ears and our heart to be enlightened by your word. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tobit chapter 8 When they had finished eating and drinking, they wanted to retire So they brought the young man out and led him to the bedroom. Tobiah, mindful of Raphael's instructions, took the fish's liver and heart from the bag where he had them and put them on the embers intended for incense. The odor of the fish repulsed the demon and he fled to the upper regions of Egypt. Raphael went in pursuit of it and there bound it hand and foot. Then Raphael returned immediately. When Sarah's parents left the bedroom and closed the door behind them, Tobiah rose from bed and said to his wife, My sister, come, let us pray and beg our Lord to grant us mercy and protection. She got up and they started to pray and beg that they might be protected. He began with these words, Blessed are you, O God of our ancestors. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Let the heavens and all your creation bless you forever. 
You made Adam and you made his wife Eve to be his helper and support. And from these two, the human race has come. You said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Let us make him a helper like himself. Now, not with lust, but with fidelity, I take this kinswoman as my wife. Send down your mercy on me and on her, and grant that we may grow old together. Bless us with children. They said together, Amen, Amen. Then they went to bed for the night. But Raguel got up and summoned his servants. They went out with him and dug a grave. For he said, Perhaps Tobiah will die. Then we would be a laughingstock and an object of mockery. When they had finished digging the grave, Raguel went back into the house and called his wife, saying, Send one of the maids in to see whether he is alive. If he has died, let us bury him without anyone knowing about it. They sent the maid, lit a lamp, and opened the bedroom door. She went in and found them sleeping together. The maid came out and told them that Tobiah was alive and that nothing was wrong. Then they praised the God of heaven in these words, Blessed are you, God, with every pure blessing. Let all your chosen ones bless you forever. Blessed are you, for you have made me happy. What I feared did not happen. Rather, you have dealt with us according to your abundant mercy. Blessed are you, for you have shown mercy toward two only children. Grant them, Master, mercy and protection, and bring their lives to fulfillment with happiness and mercy. Then Raguel told his servants to fill in the grave before dawn. He asked his wife to bake many loaves of bread. He himself went out to the herd and brought two steers and four rams, which he ordered to be slaughtered. So they began to prepare the feast. He summoned Tobiah and said to him, For fourteen days you shall not stir from here, but shall remain here eating and drinking with me. You shall bring joy to my daughter's afflicted spirit. Now take half of what I own here. Go back in good health to your father. The other half will be yours when I and my wife die. Take courage, son. I am your father, and Etna is your mother. We belong to you and to your sister, both now and forever. So take courage, son. As per the other chapters of the book of Tobit, chapter 8 packs a lot of good stuff. The main theme that jumps out at me revolves the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity or love. What are they? 
Well, let's have a brief overview on what they are about, and then I would connect the dots to the scripture reading based on my reflection. Again, in the last episode, we started examining the human or moral virtues and the four cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. In this episode, we turn to the theological virtues given to us as divine grace. Again, all references made to the CCC, scriptures, and citations are listed in the show notes on the Setting Apart website. The URL is www.settingapart.com and setting apart is one word. If you follow my YouTube channel, the references are coded chronologically in the subtitle. It might be easier for you to follow that way. Okay, in general terms, virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. The theological virtues relate directly to God. They dispose Christians to live in a relationship with the Holy Trinity. They are infused by God into the souls of the faithful to make them capable of acting as His children. They are gifts from God to lead us directly back to God. And that is the purpose. There are three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity or love. Faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that He has said and revealed to us, and all that the Holy Church proposes for our belief. By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God and strives to know and do the will of God. The righteous shall live by faith, and that's from Romans 1 verse 17. Let me be clear. Christian faith is not blind faith. We believe because since the time of Adam, man has been breaking the covenant with God despite our proclamation of faith and best effort time and time again, as it is written in Hosea 4 verse 15. Israel, you act like a prostitute. Throughout the salvation history, God is the only faithful party in this covenant relationship. As it is written in Matthew 28 verse 20, And look, I am with you always until the end of time. We believe because God has never broken His promises with the covenant people. We believe because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, we ask ourselves, why do we believe? Indeed, blessed are those who cannot see and yet believe. Amen to that. But why do you believe? Recall your personal encounter with God. That's the only way we can truly believe, that is, to have a personal encounter with God, to be personally touched by Him and to be drawn to Him. No amount of head knowledge can give us faith. I have unpacked this in Season 1. Feel free to check out My Lord and My God 
in season one. If you wish to find out more about seeing with not your eyes, but with your heart. Now, according to James 2.26, faith apart from works is dead. When it is deprived from hope and love, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of the body. That is from paragraph 1815 of the CCC. Now, the so-called works James is referring to is the same as Paul in Galatians 5 verse 6. It is faith working through love. And if we are no longer a living member of Christ's body, it follows that we are no longer adopted children of God. Hence, without hope and love, faith, apart from works, is dead. Now, the disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it, and spread it. That is from paragraph 1816 of the CCC, as it is written in Matthew 10, verses 32 to 33, and I quote, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Unquote. I don't know about you. That's one of the primary reasons for starting my podcast to profess my faith, to bear witness to my personal encounters, and to spread it via my podcast to as many as possible. So check, check, and check. For me, that is. <laughs> if you have the time, I would encourage you to start a faith podcast like mine. The more, the merrier, in fact. But if you do not have the time, uh, don't be shy to share mine with people you know, you know, your friends and family, Bible sharing groups, prayer groups, church ministries, etc. And do not underestimate the power of sharing. Let me share a true story with you. In season one, a fellow ministry member at my church shared my podcast to her friends overseas. Before you know it, the husband of a friend from down under was baptized in Easter this year. And here's the thing. His wife has been praying for his conversion for the past 20 years. And it is finally answered. Everyone in the family is now baptized. Praise the Lord. So do your part and let God do the rest. As it is written in 1816 of the CCC, the disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it, and spread it. Now, of course, there are other ways we can profess our faith. For example, it can be um, as simple as doing the sign of the cross in our thanksgiving before every meal. Now, that is a fantastic way of professing our faith by acknowledging the Holy Trinity in and to the public. And when we truly believe in our heart, not just in our head, but from our very own personal encounter with Christ, that what Jesus unveils to us is the fullness of truth. In spite of us not fully understanding the mystery of that revelation, that gives us hope. 
and according to 1817 of the CCC, and I quote, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit, unquote. As it is written in Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How cool is that? It just sums up everything I just said in one verse. Now, the following is a summary from 1818 to 1821 of the CCC. The virtue of hope keeps men from discouragement. It sustains him during times of abandonment. As it is written in Romans 4.18, Hoping against hope, Abraham believed and thus became the father of many nations. Christian hope unfolds from the beginning of Jesus' preaching in the proclamation of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes raise our hope toward heaven as the new promised land. They trace the path that leads through the trials that await the disciples of Jesus. Let me say that again. They trace the path that leads through the trials that await the disciples of Jesus. In other words, carry your cross daily if you want to follow me, but he's not going to leave us out in the cold. But through the merits of Jesus Christ and his passion, God keeps us in the hope that does not disappoint. And that's from Romans 5, verse 5. Now, hope is also a weapon that protects us in the struggle of salvation. It gives us joy even under trial. And this is what Romans 12, verse 12 says, Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. We see that clearly from the apostles who gladly received their persecutions for the sake of Jesus. We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God to those who love him and do his will. In every circumstance, each one of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. With this hope, we are at peace with God. Now, it is easy to see this when things are going well. It is easy to forget when we are going through our trials and tribulations. But we should model our hope in the hope of Abraham who never witnessed the promises God made to him, but who was blessed abundantly by the promises of God fulfilled in Isaac and who was purified by the test of the sacrifice. Abraham was tested. His obedience of faith gave him hope. Hoping against hope, he believed and thus became the father of many nations. On Charity, 1822 of the CCC states that Charity is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for His own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. 
In other words, love God, love your neighbor, the two greatest commandments given by Jesus. Why should we love God? As it is written in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Now, amen to that. Isn't that true? And how do we love God? We love God by loving our neighbor. I have covered this quite extensively in season one. To be holy is to love. Feel free to check it out if you wish to find out how that works. The basis of that is taken from the Summa of St. Thomas Aquinas. From CCC 1823, by loving his own to the end, Jesus makes manifest the Father's love which he receives. By loving one another, the disciples imitate the love of Jesus which they themselves receive. Whence Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. According to CCC 1826, of the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, the greatest of these is charity. As it is written in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3, If I am without love, says the apostle, I am nothing. In fact, according to the next paragraph of the CCC, the practice of all the virtues is animated and inspired by charity, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is the form of the virtues. Now, connecting to the hospitality Raguel extended to Tobiah and Raphael in chapter 7, when he first saw them as just two Israelites passing through, it is driven by the virtue of charity. Love God, love your neighbor. Likewise, in my sharing last episode, I probably could not perfect the virtue of honesty if I was driven by the fear of punishment. But if I were to be driven by the virtue of love or charity, then to love is to will the good of the other. That is the essence of our Christian virtues. To imitate Christ, to act according to the reason illuminated by faith. Quoting St. Basil, If we turn away from evil out of fear of punishment, we are in the position of slaves. If we pursue the enticement of wages, we resemble mercenaries. Finally, if we obey for the sake of the good itself and out of love for him who commands, we are in the position of children." Unquote. How beautiful is that? Coming back to chapter 8, most of the action we find takes place in the bedroom. In the first two or three uh, verses, Tobiah remembers Raphael's instructions and follows them to the T, putting the liver and heart of the fish on the burning coal. The odor repels the demon and it fled, with Raphael giving chase to the desert and bound Asmodeus, the demon, out of the city. And so, with a sincere heart, 
Tobiah and Sarah pray to God for his mercy and forgiveness. Here, Tobiah's obedience of faith jumps out at me. He follows exactly what Raphael tells him to do, from agreeing to take Sarah as his wife, despite of what happened to her seven suitors before him, to taking the inside of the fish and burning them, to praying with Sarah for three days. Why three days? I will come back to it. But first, I want to say something about Tobias' obedience. Looking through the lens of Sembid, in which, allegorically, Tobias symbolizes Christ's humanity, while Raphael represents Christ's divinity, we can see Tobias' obedience on two levels. On the one hand, not only is he obedient to his father by carrying out Tobit's instructions, he also participates in Tobit's good works. For example, he went off to invite the poor to feast with them on behalf of the father and informs Tobit of the dead bodies in the city and helps in burying the dead. At the same time, Tobiah is also very receptive to divine instructions from Raphael, from what part of the fish to keep or to burn, agreeing to marry Sarah even though that could get him killed, to praying with Sarah for three days and three nights. Also, in binding up the demon in a faraway remote place, the message is that we can count on Jesus' protection in keeping us safe from the evil one. And so today, are we obedient to our paternal parents on earth? And do we faithfully follow the instructions given from above? Do we listen out of fear? Or do we obey out of faith, driven by love? Now, recall in chapter 6, in which Raphael explains how the seven husbands of Sarah worshipped their own lust, but not God. Hence, they were all killed by the demon Asmodeus. Let me read Tobit 6 verse 17 from the Dewey Reims Bible, and I quote, For they who in such manner receive matrimony as to shut out God from themselves and from their mind and to give themselves to their lust as the horse and mule which have not understanding, over them the devil have power, unquote. From the context of virtues, the seven husbands before Tobiah lack their love for God and for Sarah. Hence, they lack the virtues of charity and justice. They have no faith and no hope in hell. <laughs> Sorry, pun intended. Their outcome is death. In the next verse of the DRB, and I quote, But thou, when thou shalt take her, go into the chamber, and for three days keep thyself continent from her, and give thyself to nothing else but to prayers with her. Unquote. So essentially what Raphael is saying is, they have to put God first and pray for three days. That is the first commandment, the virtues of charity and justice, and during which they must remain chaste, that's charity and temperance. And of course, you can only do that if you can discern what is right or wrong. And that's prudence. And that's exactly what Tobiah and Sarah do in chapter 8. 
in Tobit chapter 8, verse 4 of the Dewey Williams Bible, this is what Tobiah said to Sarah, and I quote, Sarah, arise and let us pray to God today and tomorrow and the next day, because for these three nights we are joined to God, and when the third night is over, we will be in our own wedlock. Unquote. In the next verse, in verse 5 of chapter 8, Tobiah continues, and I quote, For we are the children of saints, and we must not be joined together like heathens or pagans that know not God. Unquote. Now, my question is, why three days and three nights? Why not one day or two days or seven days or seven weeks? Is there any significance to the three-day timeline? As I shared on episode 7, the image that jumps out at me after reading the DRB version for Tobit chapter 6 is the powerful image of our baptism in connection with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. Just as Jesus died and was buried on Good Friday, we die to our sin when we immerse into the water of baptism, where the faithful is immersed three times following the formula of baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for each immersion. And just as Jesus is glorified and resurrected on the third day, we rise with him as the new creation after the third immersion, incorporated into Christ. And this is where the resurrection language from verse 4 of chapter 8 comes in. And I quote, Because for these three nights we are joined to God. You see that? That's beautiful. Because for these three nights, we are joined to God and we become the mystical body of Christ and adopted children of God, the Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, our original and actual sins are forgiven. Wow, that is powerful. In the same way, Just as we renounced Satan before our baptism, Tobiah and Sarah professed their faith in Tobit 8 verse 5. For we are the children of saints, and we must not be joined together like heathens that know not God. They focus their prayer on God and God only, loving God first and loving each other. And they prayed for God's mercy, just as our sins are forgiven and we rise in the newness of our new creation. Tobiah was spared the death like those before him and was given a new beginning, a new life in matrimony with Sarah. This three-day timeline is not a coincidence. We can see that in various parts of Scripture. First, We know that Jesus died and was resurrected on the third day. In the Gospels, Jesus foretold his disciples that he would be put to death and be raised up on the third day many times. In Jonah chapter 2, the reluctant prophet was swallowed by a big fish and he remained in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
After praying from the fish belly for three days and three nights, the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah upon dry land. Jonah's disobedience to God, much like the infidelity of Israel, led him to experience death in the belly of a large fish. Yet God remains patient and merciful to Jonah and his people, resurrecting him from death on the third day. In Hosea chapter 6, Hosea calls Israel to return to Yahweh and uses powerful resurrection imagery in connection to a return to God's covenant. And I quote, On the third day, he will raise us up to live in his presence, unquote. Here, the prophet Hosea calls Israel to repent on her infidelity and offers them hope to return as God's covenant people in a renewal of life to be resurrected as God's people on the third day. And in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham saw the place pointed out by Yahweh to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, from a distance on the third day. As Abraham was going through his test, an angel stopped him from killing his son. Instead, a ram was caught and was offered in place of his son. Now, the third day theme here is the powerful act of atonement by God as he substitutes the ram in place for Isaac instead. Isaac, of course, is foreshadowing the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ fulfilled in the New Testament. As you can see, the three-day timeline has important theological implication. The third day is the special day in which God restores the life of his people and reconciles them to him. To conclude, the last two chapters on the book of Tobit remind me of the wonderful Christian virtues that we have been gifted to help lead us to attain the state of grace necessary to be in the presence of the Holy Trinity. In the last episode, I set out to address four questions about virtues. 1. What do the church and scripture teach us about them? And 2. How do we acquire them? We unpacked what moral or human virtues are from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The human virtues are stable dispositions of the intellect and the will that govern our acts, order our passions, and guide our conduct in accordance with reason and faith. We examined the four cardinal virtues where all the other virtues are grouped around them. These are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. These moral or human virtues are acquired by human effort. They are the fruit and seed of morally good acts. 3. What purpose do they serve in our Christian life? While the wounds left by the original sin on human nature make the acquisition and exercise of human virtues difficult, to acquire and live them, Christians count on God's grace which heals human nature. And when we imitate Christ, human virtues become Christian virtues.
the theological virtues dispose Christians to live in a relationship with the Holy Trinity. Their purpose is to lead men back to God. The three theological virtues are faith, hope, and charity or love. They inform all the moral virtues and give life to them. They are infused by God into the souls of the faithful to make them capable of acting as His children and of meriting eternal life. Unlike human virtues, theological virtues cannot be acquired by human effort since they are God's grace. 4. How can we grow in virtue? To grow in theological virtues, everyone should ask for this grace of light and strength, frequent the sacraments, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and follow His cause to love and shun away evil. Because these virtues exist in us solely through the goodness of God's grace. The only way for them to increase is by grace. We cannot earn more faith, hope, or love by our own good deeds. In order for us to acquire more of them, we must ask God for them in prayer and frequent the sacraments which are instruments of His grace. Like grace itself, they are pure gifts from God. The only goal of the theological virtues is our supernatural happiness. In summary, virtues are not simply philosophical constructs, but rather the habits and dispositions that help us reach eternal union with God. In addition to the virtues, Tobit chapter 8 also strikes me on Tobias' obedience of faith to his father Tobit and also to Raphael. The exemplary chastity and temperance of Tobiah and Sarah save them from the demon and offer an example of mankind. Chapter 8 also reminds me of the powerful gifts we receive for our salvation in baptism and opens my eyes on the significance of the three-day timeline in Scripture. The three-day timeline has important theological implication. It is the special day on which God restores the life of His people and reconciles them to Him. And there you have it. In closing, let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord, thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit that sustain the moral life of Christians. May they complete and perfect the virtues of those who receive them. May they make the faithful docile in readily obeying your divine inspirations. Let your good spirit lead me on a level path. To your unworthy covenant people, may you rekindle in us the virtue of charity or love and a renewal of our covenant vows in our holy matrimony, not with lust, but with fidelity as in Tobit 8 verse 7. In the name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Setting Apart podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and get notified so you won't miss any episode. And please feel free to give me your ratings and reviews so that others may get to listen as well. Thank you and God bless.